welcome back to I Talk Chicken and Read, and this is another episode of Book to Screen, where I'm again joined by Joy, and this time Shanna from the NTR Network, where we're talking Little Fires Everywhere, episodes five through eight. And boy, did we have feelings. So yes. Joy, as the person who got us into this, again, <laughs> thank you. Overall, what's your feeling of the for Little Fires Everywhere? I love it. Loved it. My God, RIP. The only good thing during this quarantine was that show. <laughs> Man, it's fantastic. No, uh, you know, I, I've spoken to you about this offline row, but I think that there was this nice gradual trajectory between episodes one and four, and then five to eight, it just descend, like it, it ascends into madness. Like it is so wonderfully done. You get really, really, really great and rich character arcs. You get growth. Um, you get deconstructions, you get drags. Oh, the drags. You get receipts, you get little fires everywhere. You get it all. Uh, Shannon is joining us tonight because, well, it's not a complete review of little fires everywhere if we're not all here. So what is your overall feeling after seeing all eight episodes? So I went into this knowing nothing like nothing and I just knew from that first scene with Carrie and Reese that it was gonna be amazing because these two women were like every time we're in a scene together we are going to chew each other up and it was so lovely I just uh, I've never related to a character more than I have with Mia just in her complete and utter disdain for white people. <laughs> I just, like everything about her. I was like, girl, yes, say the thing. Um, and yeah, and so I actually haven't read the book, although it is now officially on my library queue. So I am interested in seeing how the book is different from this, but I love the ending and the like shout out to the artist who created all the pieces, all of Mia's pieces. Cause those are like, I was pausing the final credits to look at all the different um, photographs. I thought they were absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. She did some fabulous work. Um, so for me, I read little fires everywhere when it first came out and it was very good. I like Celestine. I think she has a very unique and interesting way of talking about the mundane and kind of, identifying issues and nuance that you don't generally get in these types of books. But I was not planning on watching the Hulu show because it was a very white woman, working class, upper class white woman. I'm like, I don't know if I need any more messiness. And then Joy was like, but Carrie Washington's playing Mia. And by the time the show actually rolled around, I'd forgotten, completely forgotten that I'd read this book. And it was about, I think, maybe 25 minutes in when I realized that they were elevating this story, that it kind of started ringing notes for me. And by episode five, which is where we're picking up tonight's discussion duo, I was so all in on this show that I was almost incapable of live tweeting because I kept rewinding to rewatch things again. Because you're right. Every time Reese and Carrie Washington were in a scene together, it was, it, you never knew what was going to happen. It was, there was magnificentness but also bill richardson kind of started showing up and having attitude and you know really kind of looking at things that were happening that he should have been paying attention to clearly years ago as of duo when he's representing the mccullens and you know izzy has massive problems and 
Lexi's being Lexi. So, I mean, I feel let's let's like really get into it. The story picks up at a duo, and I guess the summary is Bill Richardson has his hands full representing the McCullough's in the custody case, much to Izzy's dismay. Lexi finds out upsetting news and turns to Pearl for help. That's what we're going to call it, huh? Meanwhile, Elena, feeling as though this whole custody battle is her fault, which it is, goes to New York to search for clues about Mia's past and enlists the help of an old acquaintance. So that's a very tasteful description for what actually happens starting at this point in the series. Now, do you think this was a good pickup? Did the, the energy work for you going out of episode four into episode five, y'all? So I believe episode five is when we get the first glimpse of young Elena and so I know I remember like when like in real time a lot of folks were kind of complaining because they wanted to know more about Mia's backstory and we kept um seeing like just little flashes of it and so like when it opened with young Elena I know a lot of people were not feeling it I on the other hand I love the actress that they cast to play young Anna Elena. Sophia. Anna Sophia Robb, who used to play a young uh, Sarah Jessica Parker on The Carrie Diaries. I just love that actress. And the casting for the younger versions of all of these characters was so on point. They didn't all look exactly like the character they were playing, but they all sounded and had the mannerisms of the characters it was unnerving to watch. And so I really appreciated this because although they will try and convince you <laughs> that there are no villains in this story, I think there's a difference between being able to understand where somebody is coming from and them being a villain. To me, Elena is still the villain of this story, <laughs> even if I understand her backstory. And so that's what I liked about it was like we got the backstory and we also got where she was coming from but in my opinion it didn't absolve Elena of being who she was well no because Elena's trash Joy. <laughs> yeah uh we had a special treat coming so we we had an in-depth conversation about the the characters of young Elena and uh young Mia and I agree with you Shanna they don't look alike but listen let me tell you something about Tiffany Boone Tiffany Boone said I will watch Carrie Washington quiver <laughs> I will watch Carrie Washington cry and when I emote I will emote from the school of Carrie okay I will and learn she... where my shoulders should be that's what was killing oh me was God. the body that when was killing me the body the combination of the body in the way her face snarls like Carrie's does when she's in emotional distress. Yeah. I was like, that's Carrie Washington. I was like, Mia, whoever you want to classify her as today, that is Carrie Washington right there. <laughs> that whole face, she had it. And oh my God, Anna Sophia Robb, fantastic job as Elena, who I thought she looked less like Reese than Tiffany did of Carrie, but my God, the voice, the cadence, that just that extra level of, of forced, disturbing perkiness that's almost demonic, she got it. Like yeah. all of it, she got yeah. it. Um, so the so the women did wonderful, wonderful job in performances, and I agree with you. Uh, our special treat that we're going to be rolling out this week. Uh, one of the conversations that we had was uh, that understanding Elena does not dissolve her and her racism, it does not dissolve her of her micro macroaggressions, which I have to call it because by definition is a microaggression, but it's so damaging. It is definitely macro, yeah. um, and so. Uh, I think that it is it is awesome that we got to see these women and the complexities of them 
without absolving them of both of their issues and both of their problems and both of the things where they fucked up candidly. I was just really Atlanta happy. More than others. Yeah. I was just happy that they weren't going to try to make this a redemption story because that is definitely not what the book is. But um, the way that they kind of twisted things and changed the relationship for Elena and Mia, especially once Mia was in her home, and then they transition out of that into everything exploding with BB finding out they have her baby. And you go into the situation knowing about the trial, and then you've got Izzy over here pissed off trying to make you know, political statements by putting babies in blackface because she didn't think that through. But this is about the time that you start to also get the emotional nuance of what's going on with the other relationships in this house. So I was actually happy that they started with a flashback to Elena. So we got to meet Paris Bay and you got to see uh, the choices that she had and the things that she threw away in the name of supposed to. And as you then realize what her relationship looks like and how much of it included settling, you feel no need to absolve her of anything because you start to realize how much she knew better. You know, you get some more great scenes where it's very easy to stand for Brian. And, you know, you realize that Lexi is an extra special kind of trash. Are we going to talk about Lexi? Are we just going to... Okay, I just wanted to point out that I forgot that Mia don't care about how old the white people are she's dragging. Because the way <laughs> the way she dragged Izzy about that baby. Lexi? About telling those babies. Oh, no, Izzy, Izzy. Izzy got about it. telling those babies. She was like, um, okay, so that was cute and all, but did you think about X, Y, and Z? And then when, like, when Izzy tried to like throw some she tried to hit her with some white woman tears and she was like oh no 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 you don't get to create art that is provocative and then get mad when people are provoked we gonna talk it through yeah i was like you, you don't have the right not to be challenged <laughs> exactly yeah. and then lexi first steals pearl's story then steals her actual identity to get this abortion and goes crying to like at their house and i love that like you know mia she's like a mom she's like this baby's crying i'm you know give her a black mother rock and all that but when she found out she used her baby's name she was like nope you gonna get dragged today (laughs) like i she does not care she's like i don't care if you ate 18 or 28 you can get dragged by your hair. My favorite part was when she was like, you clean your own dishes. (laughs) Put your cup in the sink when you're done. I was like, hold up now. Like, I don't disagree with you. I was like, this child definitely didn't have surgery, but it was so funny. I wasn't mad at her. I was not mad. My favorite part was was how she dragged her child while dragging Lexi. My daughter may enjoy giving to you, but I'm not her. I was stuck right there. I was like, this is glorious. I love this writing room and the honesty and the vulnerability, but also the willingness they had to put the, the, you know, this would make somebody hateful out there and and acknowledge if you're gonna make grown folk decisions you can get cussed out like you're grown i'm not gonna put my hands on you but i'm gonna cuss you all the way out so you know you so you have lexi 
you know, continuing down the path of Elena, you know, heir to the throne of mistress of microaggressions. You've got Moody starting to show his ass. Um, and see, okay. (laughs) Cause I love Moody. Uh, but, you still love Moody after episode eight? Okay, I yes, I st- still do. Okay, Richardson family reunion. We already talked about this. <laughs> I I like Moody, but you know what I love about Moody is that he is still he's he's still a white man with privilege, and so it's just I I love it because they're all doing these things. And they, you know, even Izzy and Moody, like they think they're a little bit better than these people because they're like, I get it. I understand. But the minute their like privilege is challenged, they go right into like immediate like fight mode. So like Moody's like, I like the girl. I did the nice things. I got her the bike. I even understand that she goes to the black club. I get it. <laughs> But the minute he doesn't get his way, he's like, oh, no, this is all wrong. I literally tweeted, I literally tweeted, oh, Moody turned into an incel, hate to see it. And I like, (laughs) I genuinely liked Moody. I I do think that there's a really interesting point that um, definitely needs to be evaluated, Shanna, where... Look, I think what one of the things that I enjoy about Little Fires Everywhere is that they give you various degrees of whiteness in the Richard, like the Richardson's household. And where you have the super stereotypical kind of like a media and broader like spot a racist, there's a racist, very clear um, racism in, in, in um, Elena and then by proxy Lexi in terms of how she treats uh, Pearl and definitely how she treated that girl minding her black ass business doing her shift at Wendy's and Brian how she treats Brian in certain capacities as well um, but then I think you get that liberal woke you know uh, what I like to call a little northeastern racism uh, from from Izzy and Moody and it comes out in different ways throughout the series Moody's came at the at a, you know obviously at a later stage but uh, with very well meaning and well intentioned and they are annoyed by their family's antics. But as, as Mia artfully dragged Izzy, they also benefit from their parent, their family's antics. Mm-hmm. They live in the house that they live in because of their family's antics. And they have status in this community because of the history of their family's lineages, you know, uh, antics. And so I do think that that is actually really smart of the writer's room to really evaluate different degrees of whiteness within this in the 90s even the well-intentioned ones can do damage can do harm benefit from this society benefit from this from this privilege and benefits ultimately from this racism i was actually happy they did it before we went into the uncanny before we actually got to see the formation of elena and the formation of mia and even the formation of bill um, for us to get an idea, a real in-depth idea of where all three of these children and that four almost adult stand, for us to have a clear idea of what the consequences, the downstream effect and impact of Elena before you go upstream and see what made her. And then for you to start to realize the consequences of Mia's fear being the motivating factor for her life and the downstream impact of Pearl's being Pearl. And I'm trying to be nice because we dragged Pearl a lot. Oh, the whole, 
the first the first half let's let's be clear the first episode the uh, first episode of this series this two-part series of us reviewing the entire season is us dra- we drag yeah we Pearl got in Pearl at minimum 65 yeah. percent of that podcast. Oh, it's a hard 80 percent joy you're being nice <laughs> min- i said at minimum i'm trying to i'm trying to give us the, i'm trying to give us a benefit of the doubt there's here. no benefit of the we doubt we went in and I, and I will say what I said in the first, the first half of the series. Lexi Underwood, Mama, I saw you just got representation. It's well deserved, sis. You did, you did a good job, sweetheart. Like here for it. I can't wait to see how you become and how you develop. You two studied from the uh, the school of Kerry Washington in these scenes and these performances. Mm-hmm. I think that will bode well for you in your career. God bless you. But ma'am, don't play another whack ass character like this again. Because okay. I want to like you. <laughs> when I tell you that. I wanted to beat this child's behind up until maybe the last three minutes of the show. I mm, mm, whoopins, whoopins. It was the nineties too. That's why I think I was so like, I was like, this is before we knew how bad it was to beat kids. You sure you don't want to give her just one good one? What do you mean? It's not bad to beat children. It's just not, not, not if they name Pearl. <laughs> Pearl Warren needs to have the shit shaken out of her. But it makes it even more imp- important when you go back in time and you see Mia's family and the dynamic between her and her mom and and the the impact of the choices that she had to make and her brother and even the stutter step he had when he realized what she had done to try to stay in New York. You know, I spent the whole first half of this going, I wonder if they really going to make it to where Mia distills a whole baby. But when you actually got to see that story unfold and her relationship with her, her teacher and then her mentor, and then, you know, the love of her life, Pauline, which is a very big deviation from the book. They gave her life. They gave her true aspect soul there's a certain naivety that she keeps in the book that make me made me that's the part where I was like I can't identify I can't relate I can't recognize there are just certain things that they would have her do that didn't even fit the you know the ideological understanding of working class but it under it fit white women and I was like I can't I can't She's in here babying and coddling these children of this woman who detests her. So mm-hmm. to see what they gave, because they had to build Elena's backstory all the way out. It didn't exist. It's a couple of flashes and a couple of mentions here and there in the book, but you don't get a flashback of Elena. And I think the juxtaposition that they did between the two of them in the uncanny was brilliant. Uh, it opened the door to talking about bitterness, regret, anger postpartum depression um partnership not being 50 50 between a husband and a wife or between spouses of whatever kind but being a 100 100 and when you have a partner who thinks that they get to mix up what they bring to the table every day so you never know who's going to be there like is you want me to have this baby that i told you i don't want to have and you look me in the face and say four is no different than three when you leave the house every day to go to work bill but it's also like what her mother said her mother was like we people get rid of babies we are not those people that is not what we do so you know you know like even if it hadn't been bill like four is no different from three like you know, that's just not what you do. And yeah. also, this is what you gave up all of that for. This is what you said you wanted. You wanted to be the, you wanted to have, quote unquote, have it all. 
Right. I don't care. I was sitting in my scene beat when her mom said that's not what we, I'm like, who is we? I am not we. I am me and I'm not doing it. But especially mama can't even come over yeah. and take care of the kids without getting drunk. Mama drunk. <laughs> you are no help. You don't. Mm-mm. But again, you know, they left it in the background until the very end. But Bill sacrificed. Bill was a public defender. He had a completely different trajectory, a completely different person, a pro- completely different goal for what kind of lawyer he wanted to be, who he wanted his clients to be. And he had to give all of that up because he now had three kids with one more on the way. And there was a certain life that he was, he knew he was, he was putting the kibosh on her career. The simple fact that she went back to work to find out that she'd missed a promotion. Now in the book, um, she had just received an, an amazing job offer when she found out she was pregnant with Izzy. So, she lost out on even more than what she lost out on on the show. But I think they did enough on the show for you to get the point. But you never really understood until you saw the changes that happened later and the dynamic between Elena and Bill, what this life costs Bill. And I don't just mean getting regulated to Saturday night sex because she's tired of your super sperm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was... When I saw her with all them baby, and like we knew because like all them kids are like back to back anyway, so like yeah. we knew. But still, when I saw her with all those babies, I was like, "Oh no, wonder she don't let him touch her." But like twice a week, yeah, Sweet motherfucker, you can't keep you breathe on her <laughs> and get her pregnant. She's yeah, not so with like- it, and I understood all of that. But the way they gave it to us, and then they went back in time, and then they came forward, and they immediately went back to the trial, and you saw the direct result of her bitterness and her inability to stop being angry that Mia got to live a different life, that she couldn't pigeonhole her, that she didn't fit any of the images of what she expected, and that every time she turned around, there was something else that this woman appeared to have, or somewhere else, some other way that she got to act that just further proved, you know, that she she wanted to be better and couldn't. But like yeah. the moment when she looked at Izzy and said, if you're going to be a part of this family and stay here in this house, I was like, uh-oh. Mm-mm. Well, this is the thing. Izzy called her on her shit so much because she said, you know, you refuse to call me Izzy. She's like, your name is Isabel. She's like, Moody, Trip, Lexi. Like, you will call everyone by what they want to be called. Everyone else by a nickname. Like, like she was truly punishing that child I for the thing she lost out on. So it's like, even if Izzy wasn't the, you know, the artistic lesbian, like even if that, that wasn't the case, you, she held resentment <laughs> towards she that. Child. She didn't want that baby. And yeah. by the time you get to picture perfect, which is episode seven, and you get that moment where, you know, she's like, you get in or you get in and fit in or you go. But at the, like at the end of that episode where, cause this is also the moment where Brian has had extreme enough. amounts of enough. And I saw Joy's tweet. <laughs> I, you know, what's so funny is I don't call any of these characters by their actual name. So I was like, Brian, who's Brian? I call him Hakeem. <laughs> wow. No, you're not going to take away the work he did to be Brian for us. Look, that boy showed up with a high top fade and was on the basketball. He 
was looking like a stereotype, so I called him a stereotypical name. We're going to call him Brian. <laughs> but by the yeah. time that you showed up at that moment, Joy and I talked about Brian and the moment where he finally was fed up with Lexi offline. But I do want you, you know, how did you feel about how they wrapped that stuff up in seven and eight? I think I do kind of wish that he knew about the abortion. Why? But... Um, just because I, I more, more than like, in terms of like it eliciting sympathy for Lexi, I more wanted him to know to be like, you know how fucking close you came <laughs> like, to no, ruin no. your life behind this white girl. Because <laughs> like, no. I said from the beginning, I was like, don't sleep with that white girl. I thought she was going to say that he raped her at some point. I don't trust I don't trust. Well, but, but um, he actually did love her and had feelings for her. And he's been making excuses okay. for her until she left him no choice but to recognize that she's her mother. If he <laughs> had known about that, I don't think he would have been able to leave her. Joy, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's tricky because if you remember the scene, she is the one who initiated sex primarily to avoid the conversation about Lexi. To avoid mm -hmm. the responsibility of this black person that you are dating, this young black man telling you that, yes, this is a problem for me that you wronged this young black girl. Because it has it honestly has nothing to do with Pearl, but everything that Pearl represents as a black person. And if you can wrong her like that, and we have this grand master plan of I'm going to Princeton, you're going to Yale, we're still going to do long distance and be together because it's still in the Northeast together. It only, you know, it's still a tri-state area. So, mm -hmm. you know, what is the moment going to take? Or like, what is the next step for you to wrong me? And she threw pussy at him and was like, here you go. Yeah. And then in series of unfortunate events, she got pregnant. So... <laughs> Because they waited till after they started smashing on the regulator to have the conversation about contraception. Right. And like on one hand, I can understand where Shannon's coming from about knowing. On the other hand, I do think like, at, not even ultimately, it is the woman's choice what they decide to do, but she also made the choice not to tell him when she was going through that process. Brian is many things. I do not think Brian is an unreasonable character. This is the backstory of crafting for him in my head. I do not think that he's an unreasonable character. I absolutely think that if she still wanted to go with it, he would have supported her along the way and would have been there for her in that hospital room. Yes, but he would not have been okay with her putting clarify. down that her name was Pearl Warren. Exactly. exactly. I, so I just want to clarify. I actually wanted him to find out after like during that argument that final argument that they had that's when I wanted him to right. find out and but I also loved it because you knew that she couldn't tell him without telling him the part about Pearl right and that's why she hesitated from telling him that's why I thought like the tension in that scene was perfect because she actually did have a really good excuse for why she had been acting the way she had been acting quote unquote you know like, she in did like, not you know what I'm saying? like in terms of like she was being short and like not wanting to be intimate with him she, like all of those things were what was like building up behind but like the reason behind it like made sense like she just went through abortion she doesn't want to be like fucking like the you know like all that made sense but she couldn't say that without telling him about the abortion, without telling him about Pearl. And that's why the tension in that scene was just lovely. Well, I also think it's a matter of she, you know, this is the rubber hits the road. He basically asked her flat out, how am I supposed to trust you out of my sight if I can't trust you when I can see you? And why is it that every single time we're having this conversation?
conversation, you want to turn it around to be about you. She couldn't tell him that because she couldn't answer those two questions. But I do believe that if she had told him, especially the way that she started to lay it out, he wouldn't have been able to leave her. And I wanted her left. So if that... So if that means that she has to sit there and all of the things that the very good points the two of you are making in order for her to end up single, I will, I'm okay with it, but there is nothing, nothing associated to the, the upset and the stress and the trauma of trying to figure out what to do when you found, find out you're pregnant. Not a single bit of it excuses the way that she's behaved. Not at all. It's another situation where I appreciated how they didn't absolve someone for being a trash ass person because she made choices all along the way that took her to where she is. And I like the juxtaposition between what she was doing and the situation she found herself in versus, you know, Mia, Uh, but more importantly, Bibi, brand new mother, you know, didn't really have a choice, couldn't get care properly because she's not in the country legally, tries to leave her child somewhere but he can't even make sure that her child's taken care of properly because she ends up passed out in the hospital. It goes back to the point where Mia was like, you didn't make good choices. You had good choices. And And that's why I really like, I really loved the, um, the, the whole thing of her being the one to tell Elena about Lexi, because Elena had all of these notions in her head about Pearl. In terms of like when she thought it was Pearl who got the abortion, she it's like, oh, because Mia's a bad mom, because this, because that, all these other things. Like she's like, oh, well, like Pearl must be out here, like having sex all up and down. Like oh, no, all this. She came stuff. between my two sons. She, she almost wrecked their relationship. She had no problems. Remember, she went immediately into accusation mode. And I always, mm-hmm. for this whole series, I have found it interesting that everybody acts like Pearl O. Moody something. She never misrepresented. Mm-hmm. She never acted like his girlfriend. Not once. And Izzy called him on that shit. He was like, you don't get to have her just because you think you deserve her. That makes you just as bad. Yeah. I knew, look, I knew this show was good. When by episode eight, I was like, why is Trip making the most sense of all the Richardson children? I think I called you, Joy, when that happened. <laughs> I was like, I'm, it upsets me greatly that, that Trip is the one I ended up liking the most out of all of the Richardson kids. Um, and to be fair, outside him being his usual dumb jock with like a splash of misogyny, he was never racist. No. He, oh, like outwardly, at least on the show. He's a guy. He, th- I mean, he's the only one that at the end I empathized with for how he was. Like when they flashed back to them at that stupid lemonade stand, how Lexi was talking to him and Moody was condescending. Just let Moody do it. You can. You just can't even add and Trip was out here living his best white male privileged life oh, yeah. <laughs> he was like i didn't know we were supposed to be upset about these things yeah i mean he lived in his little bubble the world they built for him and all the things that he was supposed to have and you know people just serving it up to him on a platter and you know he doesn't think about the consequences of telling pearl that my mom told me that your mom had half a million dollars you know <laughs> bro all the richardson's were snitches if he right. would always be telling something to somebody, bruh, nobody know how to shut their goddamn mouth in this show. Yeah, I've, Everybody mm. like, well, I heard from your mom about this mom and this. And I'm like, bruh, why are you? Stop. Stay on your folks' business. Well, maybe we should but, call this and wearing money. Your, you know, minding your business is free is the name of this episode. Yes, mm. because they everybody needs to mind their business. But yeah, Trip was out here was just like, listen, I got me a little caramel boo. I don't know how long I'm going to have her, but she, she makes my world go round. 
it was also like I know I don't deserve her. Like I know yeah. she's smarter than me. <laughs> she's way yeah, too pretty. His, his biggest thing was this: like, oh, she's a she's a woman of refined taste. <laughs> like <laughs> she, she can read and shit. She can do math. She can do math. Like, <laughs> had a whole couple books. <laughs> On her own. They weren't even assigned. I learned how to pronounce Sylvia Plath. I feel <laughs> proud of myself. I checked a book oh out my all God. by myself. Look, girlfriend. I was like, poor trip. She's oh reading God. him poetry so he can learn big words. All of that. Like he But was when really... you realize the reason why he's there is because he's being patently neglected by a mother who refuses to see that her child needs education help. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, she she's like, I have four. <laughs> Three of the four are smart. <laughs> and I have a job. Yeah, but like, he plays But based on that argument, though, Trip, in terms of, like, emotional and empathetic sense, he has the most out of all of them. Yeah. And he displayed that. So, like, he's the smartest. Him. Yeah, he's the smartest where it counts. Yeah. He's very in tune emotionally with his feelings. His emotional... Even when he was talking to Pearl, you could tell he was fully in tune in what she was saying. He was like, Yeah, no, I feel you. Like, I got He actually listened to her. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. processed what she refused to process. He's like, I just don't want to be like her. He's like, Yeah, but if you take your assholishness out the way, you'll recognize that these things were done out of love. Again, when you start off a show. <laughs> with a character like Trip. And by the end of the show, I'm like, you know what? That Trip boy, I think he might be my favorite. You have done a good job. Yeah. That is writing. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't really know all the different ways. Okay, so, yeah. This is going to go out. It'll be in a week since it aired. So, if you haven't seen it by now, then... I don't know what to tell you, but the ending, can we talk about the ending for a little bit? Uh, yes. I would just like to start off by saying, let me t- like, this should be nominated regardless of a quarantine, but y'all don't got no goddamn choice. What else is on TV? What else <laughs> do you have? A- what else do you have going on? Genuinely. I told at least three people to watch this and like at least two of them hopped on it immediately and were like texting me <laughs> while they were watching it. They're yep. like, oh my God. I'm oh. like, yeah. Yeah, that was by, I in my opinion, by a sizable margin. Episode eight is the best Reese Witherspoon performance I have witnessed and watched. That's great. I, my God, that when screamed like a pterodactyl. She pterodactyl screamed in her daughter's face, <laughs> and then the way Lexi came back. Yeah. Oh my God. When she, that scream said, let me remind you hoes that I have an Oscar. That's what that screen told me. Like, personally to my face. I was in, I was so impressed. I was so impressed because we've been, not Carrie, sorry. Reese has been on our TV screen, Carrie too. Reese has been on our TV screen for years now. All her life. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. And and recent, and like, especially in recent, the big heavy hitters, in terms of episodic must-see television, depending on who you ask, because y'all know how I feel about the morning show. Mm-hmm. But in terms of episodic television, it's been Big Little Lies season one. We don't we don't claim season two because girl, who's that? Uh, the morning show. These are really big, pivotal conversation starters in broader social media lexicon. And Reese has been at the helm of that as a co-star or uh, or, or a co-lead and a producer or an executive producer. And so off the strength of that, whether or not you like those shows, give it up for, for, for sis. 
But every time she is challenging herself and stretching herself, even at her fully whole grown age, Reese has been acting longer than I've been alive. So I, I have always had a love-hate relationship with Reese Witherspoon, where I absolutely love her acting, but outside of acting could take or leave her like especially when that uh video came out of her getting stopped by the cop and she tried to pull all do you know who her I white am? privilege out <laughs> do you know who I am? yeah no i will never forget that but i will say that it's been since big little lies and especially like finding out that she's like producing these things that i really come to like her as reese witherspoon where I'm like, okay, like I, I see you finding a lane and not only using your privilege to like uplift women, but to like really interrogate white womanhood in these roles. Cause like, I mean, like I thought in Big Little Lies that she had reached like the apex of her white womanhoodness. And then this was like, Reese, I I didn't know that you would just go like super saying like white woman on us. This Elena is the the she's the final form of Karen. (laughs) It's amazing. I called her mistress of microaggressions for a reason. That I mean, but that screech, that screech to me was the moment. (laughs) Like all like all of it coming out. A24, what you doing? Y'all got time. Get in the get in the lab. Come Wait, up with a horror, you want a horror movie. You want a Reese Witherspoon horror movie? I want give me a re, A24 or Blumhouse. I will accept one of the other. Give I'll, me a Reese. Give me one. a Reese. Give me a Reese Witherspoon. Cause that that was very, you know, Tony Collette-esque in that screen and in that screech. It was it was that and then in I can't I think it was episode four. I can't remember if it was episode three or four. That and Carrie's get in the car. Three. Oh. Hit me in my chest. Mm-hmm. But see, <laughs> like, that's oh. the thing. They gave you all of the expected domesticness of working class black mother, uh upper class, faux working white mother but they also just gave you standard mother tropes blended into each character and shaken up with what these personality and character types like so when reese starts you know unraveling at the last episode going in getting in bill's face i'm a good mother i'm a good wife and this and that and the other and i didn't want her to begin with and he's like you should have been a great journalist because your spin is impeccable i was like ow that relationship is over but mm. then when you, Bill was fucking in that car, I was like, this yeah. shit is done. Yeah, when he yeah. came he's, in and popped she, his freedom. Sm- oh my God. And he, and she came and was still, he was like, you're still here? I was like, oh, okay, we about to go. <laughs> I'm sorry, did are. you need something? I was like, uh, did you practice with Jody? Pa- uh, did you Pacey was about? not playing. That was Pacey. Pacey showed up for the last episode of uh, Little Fires Everywhere. That was that was Pacey energy. I don't care what anyone says. Joshua can never get away from being Pacey, and he brought Pacey to work for the I'm finale. Pacey and Joey about ten years into the marriage, and Pacey is like, "Wait, why did I marry you again?" And Joey's still in love with Dawson. Yes, I do write fan fiction. Mm-hmm. It's all right. <laughs> 
it's all right. Pacey, Pacey for the win forever. But don't when, even speak not to New York to hook up and dog. Sorry. But all of these different places where they wound this back, and I'm sorry, uh, Paris Bay, who turned into New York Bay, and that moment where he's like, I just went to dinner with you to see if you changed it all. And nope. all these full circle moments that everybody had. I don't want to spoil everything. If you haven't seen Little Fires Everywhere, I don't know what's wrong with you. It is premium messy white woman with a side of black attitude. And your mama showed up to get you in the rain because you showed your ass and should have got it beat. And there's just nothing. This is the first show since Watchmen that I haven't been disappointed in a single episode. Now I know people, there's some people who had a problem with the last episode of Watchmen, but that's because those people really, really, really wanted Lederhoff to decenter black folks for the white characters. And he didn't. So I'm fine. But this show started on equal footing between Elena and Mia storyline. And it ended that way. And I, it was just, it's a chef's kiss. It's just, it's yeah. Um, this is, I'm going to say some, I'm going to give a hike. I'm going to give y'all a hot take. Uh oh. Little fires everywhere is the black development that big little lies wanted for yes. Bonnie's character. Yes. So here's the thing with big little lies, um, which I find interesting now having seen little fires everywhere is that her character wasn't originally black in the book. But they cast uh, homegirl Zoe Kravitz. And so my understanding is that Zoe did at some point kind of be like, hey, so we're going to talk about this like race thing that's going on here. <laughs> like, yeah, only black girl in the crew. Like also like the young new wife of like this older white man. Like, are we going to, you know, address that? And they kind of shied away from it. They didn't know how to address it really. And my understanding is the writer's room for that while being very female is very white. Yeah. Um, whereas here, cause I did watch like a lot of the, um, the little uh, extras on Hulu here, extremely diverse uh, writer's room of all different like colored mothers, all that. Like, so I, while I am continue to be disappointed with the lack of um, addressing race in Big Little Lies, I also feel very comfortable and confident saying that I'm glad they didn't touch it. Well, <laughs> the problem is, is that like if they stayed to one season, I would a thousand percent agree with you, Shanna. The problem is that they attempted that in the second season to give Bonnie a storyline, and they still missed the mark. Like yeah. that's. I think that's the issue. If it would have stayed as a limited series and I don't you even don't do it. I'm slapping the mythical hand. Don't even think about doing a goddamn little fires everywhere season two. I don't want it Mm-mm. because I think it is perfect as a capsule the way it is. Do not sully this. Leave it as is. But anyway. Yeah. Please um, don't come back for a second season, please. Not necessary. But like if, if, if we're doing the comparison, right? Big Little Lies is also based on the book. And from what Ro has told me constantly as we've been watching these episodes in this whole entire series, they changed a lot in terms of these characters to make space for the arcs that are needed. They took advantage of every single bit of space that Celestine had left in that story for you to bring in the elements if you weren't talking about a white woman working for a white woman. And they took advantage of 
every bit of that space. Right. And they made that to, to absolutely to that because they made that space. You have a rich character like Mia. You have a backstory like the uncanny episode in us uh, for seasons uh, for episode six. You, you get Carrie Washington going full Carrie Washington, which I know I gave a lot of love to Reese, but my God, best perform best dramatic performance from Carrie I've seen in the wild too. And she's mm-hmm. usually good. <laughs> like, yeah, that she's not been slouching. This is probably my favorite dramatic performance from her. Period. Uh, uh, you get you get the space for that. So I do think that I, what I hope it shows is a little bit of of behind the scenes, a little bit of Reese's growth and prowess and understanding the producing side and her getting better at it. Because I do, you know, Big Little Lies was not her probably her, not her first producing job, but it was the first pr- pr- producing job of that magnitude and that scale. That I had think that much more she made a, I think I feel like it's more that she made a better decision in her show showrunner was Liz. Um, yeah, I would I would agree with that too. Liz <laughs> is a brilliant showrunner, but she also came in the door with the idea, and once Carrie said, "I want to play Mia," she was like, "I'm let's go." You know what I mean? She didn't shy away from it, and she listened to her writers when they said, "Well, now that it's in the room, we got to talk about it. It's got to be in the room. We can't. It can't be an elephant that no one discusses. We've got to bring it in." And again, when you get our treat, we've got some moments in there that kind of explain some of these things more in a voice not our own. But as someone who read the book, if you have not read Little Fires Everywhere, wait until after you see it. Finish the series first. Then go back and read the book. That's a better way to kind of approach these characters because there's more of a contemporary edge to what's happening with these characters with the changes they made. They take out some of the inexplicable naivety that kind of just was there. And I get why it was there. It's inexplicable to me because I'm a black woman, but it's not inexplicable as its presence. But the dynamic between Izzy and Elena is rooted and motivated from a different place. And I think what they did on the show is better um, in terms of continuity of understanding of the time of the town and of the ultimate result, because it feels a little less cliche. Um, I think when you get into what they let and how they stretched Elena, you get more depth and you get more grit. And I think it gives you a greater appreciation of the dynamic that was established between two white women in this book. If you watch it, if you read it afterwards, like I have a greater appreciation for everything that I read in Little Fires Everywhere. And I want to read it again. And I'd completely forgotten this book. This isn't my favorite Celestine book, not by any measure. So that's, you know, that's my five cents. But I think that this needs to be winning awards. I don't care if it's on a streaming show. There's hardly been anything that I've watched anywhere else. And you know, I live in TV land. Then Little Fires Everywhere. I don't think that I can say that there's been something that's had a more perfect season. If I had to nominate a single episode, I wouldn't know which one to pick. Well, I'm lying. I'm going to nominate The Uncanny because episode six, beginning to end, was the pivot point where this series for me put it into overdrive and didn't stop until the end and they wrapped it back around to perfectly kiss how it opened but other than the uncanny and the fact that it you know ends with that cover of bitch 
I'm interested in reading the book because I actually saw online the other day somebody being like, yeah, I tried to watch Little Fires Everywhere, but they changed too much for the book and I couldn't get into it. And I was like, I mean, were they white? <laughs> yeah. But I'm serious. Were were they white? Yeah, no, I'm I'm pretty sure they were. It was okay. Twitter, but like I'm pretty I sure they were. And, like, I, I, was... I've heard that from somebody too, and they were not white. They were a black woman. And I yeah. heard them say the same thing. I just want to point I'm that out. Like, but this show, so I need I need to read the book, obviously. But I'm just like this show is fantastic. Like just the acting, the writing, the way they are addressing issues like again it it feels like Watchmen in the sense of like I didn't know going into it that it was going to be that fucking black (laughs) like like I just didn't know and it was like really gonna get into race like that you know I wasn't asking if they were white because I thought this was a white person thing I was simply asking because the the common thing that I've noticed is women over a certain age or in a certain age demographic and white women, they didn't just identify with the characters. They identified with the worldview and little fires everywhere. The show, it has a completely different worldview and they put the, the known history of shaker Ohio and the people who lived there and the motivations to them completely to a different use. So if you really, really clocked in and those were the elements that you keyed into, um, and then you also dug into the characters because they made sense in that world, the show may not be your cup of tea, which is why I said, if you haven't read it yet, watch the show first because little fires everywhere. The book it's got, it's got a completely different vibe. That's all. I wasn't, you know, trying to be present. No, no, I know you weren't. But yeah, I will, um, I too have not, like Shannon, I've not read the book. Um, And girl, I'm busy. I probably never will. But I will say that, (laughs) it's true. Uh, But I will say that, my God, uh, me and Rowan are on opposite spectrum. She watches a lot of television. I do not. Uh, Because again, girl, I'm busy. So I am very selective very selective in the tv shows that i watch um and if i if they profoundly like move me then you will hear it um that was watchmen for me that was euphoria that was Barry season one for me that was absolutely fleabag and i would add little fires to this list because i remember telling ro i want to watch this show and she was like really because she knows i don't watch tv and, <laughs> and i was like yeah. the apocalypse I was like, no, I'm going to watch the show. And then we would text every time the episode. I was like, girl, what is going on with this world? I'm fully immersed. And I and, and so if, hear this from someone who does not watch TV. If you are not watching Little Fires Everywhere, it converted a non-TV watcher like myself to tune in every week. Absolutely. And fully locked in. Never missed like, a week. Not just tune in every week, but for... I'm on the West Coast. So them episodes dropped 9 p.m. I was like 9, 9.01. I was logging into Hulu like. I had it open new. waiting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's very rare that I watch something at the time it actually comes on anymore. Like, who does that? Like, you know, <laughs> like I'm watching things the next day. I'm watching things like 
you know, sometimes if I can find a link, I might be watching it early, but you know, like it's rare that I watch something at the actual time it comes on. And there are definitely, you know, me up on a Tuesday night, like when this little fire is dropping. (laughs) Okay. Let's be real. We don't have that much time left, but I just needed to know who really had a full body flinch when the white woman looked at the Asian lawyer in his face and said, but we bought her a panda. Yo, that whole <laughs> interrogation got, man, look, yeah. I, what I appreciate, what I actually appreciate about that verdict and in rope, I mean, let me know if, if that's what happens in the book. Um, but I like that it's because it gets called back later in the episode, but like, I, I liked that they won the case. Because evil always wins. Like, of course they're going to win. This world, in this world, they are kings, right? Mm-hmm. There's no way that this, uh, this, this Asian immigrant was going to win this case in a town that's not her own, in an area that she is not from. And that shaker in their well-meaning and intentional inclusiveness, and I'm using quotation marks when I say that, um, has crafted. So, of course, the white people who wanted to help this poor downtrodden Asian immigrant girl by adopting her, you know, was going to win that case. Didn't stop that whole discussion from being awkward as fuck. When he said that she's an American now, I Mm. said, oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Rough. Yeah. It added a whole new level of things in ways that I really appreciate it. And I like the fact that they did it the way they did on the show. Um, they do win in the book. And they did preserve the end of BB's timeline from the book. Yeah. She do steal her baby and go home. She is successful in getting her baby back. Um, now, of course, in the book, they wrap it around. And ultimately, the McCullough's are later approved to adopt another child from, I believe, China again. But yeah, no, they 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 played they played it they played that energy the same. The thing about it is that I think Pacey had the best line of like I don't want to say the whole series because there's some great lines, but like I think he had the line that like kind of sums up the dynamic between everyone, which is people like BB Chow don't win. Yeah, and so you're watching this story and like your heart for all of these characters like your heart goes out to izzy your heart goes out to mia your heart goes out to pearl does it Uh. it (laughs) but it's like you and your heart goes out to bb but like you know that like ultimately those are not the folks in the story who win and the fact that Elena is fighting so hard to prove that she made the right choices in life by making these other, making sure these other people don't win. And like her husband's even like, I don't understand why you're fighting that hard. Like, Elena is the living embodiment of I deserve. If I deserve was a person, it's Elena Richardson. Mm-hmm. I did everything right. I followed the rules. I'm good at this. I'm where I'm supposed to be. Me, me, me. She's a ruka damn soul. Of and it's not life. enough that the, the that those people don't win. She has to show why they like for her that like when Bill gets up in that courtroom and doesn't eviscerate Mia on the stand, she is upset. No, you have to show why that woman doesn't deserve to win. When he you have turned to, show. to her and said, sit, Joe, 
I was like, sit your ass down. But I was like, see, Pacey moment. But yeah, but it's like, it's not just that they can't win and that she has to be responsible for showing that they're not supposed to. It's that if they do, it has to be because she let them. Mm Because she was that way with her friend when she wanted her to look up BB's records and tell her her business. Um, The the gynecologist. And she was like, you think I'm supposed to do this because I owe you? So it's not just about the fact that she was trying to prove that she made the right decisions. She was trying to prove that she's supposed to be the arbiter of good and bad, right and wrong. If you make it, it's because be because Elena Richardson said you could. And she says multiple times, I'm a good person. Yeah, of course. And I was like, honey, if you have to say it that many times, it's probably not true. Look, anytime I've said it before, it's a sign of sociopathy, gaslighting technique. But we could sit here and go round and round about all of this. And I don't want to, I don't want to take everything out of the show. I really want people to see it who haven't seen it. So if you haven't seen it, all eight episodes of Little Fires Everywhere are now streaming on Hulu. And if you have, I mean, let us know what your favorite episode is. We would we would love to compare. And keep an eye out on the feed because there will be a special episode of I Talk Shit and Read where we interviewed one of the writers from the writing room for Little Fires Everywhere. And on behalf of Joy and Shanna, I would like to thank you for joining us for our final wrap-up. We'll be back again because somebody will find something we need to talk about that came from a book. So until then, keep an eye on the website. Be sure to check out the main feed for the movie trailer review, film, and television review because we're still hitting things there. And it's an excellent time to become a premium member because we are doing a retrospective of Christopher Nolan movies. And well, we have feelings and thoughts. And until then, peace out. Thank you.